1: Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, February. No, it's Thursday, February 24th. I'm Maggie Lake. Hard to keep track of what's going on today because it has been a lot. Investors woke up to news today that Russia launched a major military invasion of Ukraine, sending markets around the world, reeling the EU, U.S. and their allies, responded with a raft of sanctions that target Russian banks, members of Putin's inner circle, and include export controls. We have Two guests to help us make sense of these geopolitical developments. Jacob Shapiro is the founder and chief strategist of Perch Perspectives, and Tommy Thornton is the founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. Uh, gentlemen, so great to have you both with us today. We have so much ground to cover. Before we jump in, I just want to highlight what has been a huge turnaround here in US equity markets as we head into the close. Um, After selling off heavily at the start, the Nasdaq coming all the way back, now up 3% into the close. That's a 6% turnaround in one day. I mean, you know, this is volatility at its extreme. We're also seeing uh, the S&P rebound as well. No such luck for European equities. Uh, they ended the day with heavy losses down 4%. Uh, the U.S. turnaround coming after the announcement of sanctions that appeared to be not as severe as feared uh, coming from the Biden administration. Jacob, uh, let's start off on the geopolitics with you. I mean, there was a lot of news coming all around. What is your assessment and reaction to what's unfolded today?
2: Yeah, well, I, I have to tell you, before I was in the camp of, I thought that Russia was doing all this to try and use its military leverage to create a political scenario that was more amenable to it. Um. That's not what they've done. They've gone with a full-scale invasion, and I think the the key takeaway in all this is that we're just at the very beginning. Uh, as as if you were watching CNN late last night, like I was, I I didn't wake up to this. I sort of went to sleep with it, or never went to sleep with it. But you saw these reporters, you know, pointing out to panoramas and saying they heard thuds of artillery in the distance and an explosion here or there. That's the Russians softening the ground for coming in in mass. They're deteriorating and degrading Ukraine's ability to resist. Uh, When they actually come in, you're not going to see panoramas with some dull thuds. It's going to be folks in bomb shelters and things getting really serious. So I wouldn't sort of take what's happened today and say, hey, this is over and everything's fine right now. I think Moscow really does mean to push all the way to Kiev and replace the the Zelensky government.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, while this was happening, I think people had, uh, you know, Crimea in mind, what happened back in 2014. Now we're talking regime change. It does seem to be more aggressive, more extensive Than Many had been expecting, although the Biden administration seemed to be indicating and warning that they that they expected something larger, maybe, or that was the risk. And and it seems to be happening. Where do we go from here?
2: Like I said, I think we're in the very introductory phases here. So I think that once Russia feels like it's degraded Ukraine's ability to resist, you're going to see Russia through its three axes where we've already seen armor and troops cross the border go in and try and do what is a de- what we call a decapitation strike in the business. They're going to try and take out the, the Zelensky government and they're going to try and put somebody in charge who is going to be uh, at least neutral and probably more pro-Russian in their orientation. Um, I think they're playing for keeps here. It's it's different from Crimea in the sense that Crimea very small and very generally pro-Russian. Ukraine is a huge country. It's larger in size than France. We've got over 40 million people in Ukraine. Many of them are hostile to Russia and want nothing to do with this. So this is going to be a much bloodier a much longer affair than just going into a small peninsula where everybody was already pretty much on your side like Crimea was in 2014.
1: So the uh, the EU, Biden, they announced uh, and the allies announced sanctions, oil and gas uh, and swift transactions seem to be off the table for now. Will the sanctions work? I mean, there seems to be general disappointment in the strength of them.
2: Uh, I'll quote for you what the Russian ambassador to Sweden said. I believe this was last week, or it was last week before all of this invasion threats were happening. Uh, Somebody asked him, are are the sanctions going to deter what Russia's going to do? And his word-for-word response was, we don't give a shit about the sanctions. We're going to do whatever we want. Um, I say that to say that none of the sanctions that have been imposed, I think, will deter or scare Putin away. The only ones that I think really would are things like SWIFT. Things like um, think, you know, Iran level sanctions on their energy. If you applied that to Russia, think about trying to block Russian exports out of the Black Sea, whether it's agricultural exports or some of their other mineral commodities. Those are the things that the Russian economy really runs on. Um, This is more than a slap on the wrist, but it's not an existential threat. And obviously, Putin felt it was worth it to take them in order to get what he wanted in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, but but are, are they still on the table? I mean, they're saying that they are. We have to remember that. You know, the Russian economy, uh, it's it's central to them. But Europe, we know how reliant they are on gas. We know the pain that would happen if the swift, uh, you know, Iran is completely cut off from the global financial system. That is not the case when you're talking about Europe and the damage that would be done to Europe if that were to happen. Um, Is this a situation where they're buying time to try to see if they can get to a point where they do that or see if Russia pulls back before they would, you know, Put that sort of pain on the European economy, based on the fact that we're already, you know, dealing with inflation. The global economy trying to pull out of this pandemic.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that Europe can do here. And Biden was very clear when he spoke earlier. They're going to maintain um, security of energy. That's why I think the right way to think about this is Putin has all the cards in the short term. He's going to do very well. He's going to get whatever he wants out of Ukraine. The longer macro term view is that in five to ten years, Europe is going to accelerate its efforts so that it's not dependent on Russian natural gas and oil anymore. This is a really sad and horrible day for the Ukrainians. But I think it's also the day that you'll see European capitals come together. You'll see some actual cohesion out of the EU for a change. And you'll say, we can't allow this to happen anymore because next time it's not going to be Ukraine. It's going to be Poland. It's going to be the Baltics. It's going to be some of these countries that mean a lot more to the EU. So short term, you know, Putin's going to get what he wants out of Ukraine. And I don't think you'll see Uh, The nuclear level sanctions, which would be those energy sanctions or getting Russia out of the financial system. But absolutely, on a five to 10 year level, you can bet every single European leader today, even Viktor Orban, who has sort of snuggled up to Putin in past visits, said, No, I'm with Brussels today. Like Europe has to condemn this and we have to figure out how we're going to be less reliant on Russia going forward.
1: So, Let's bring Tommy into the conversation as well. But I do want to ask, uh, you know, one more question, which is so we've got cohesion in Europe. NATO's back together again. Not sure if you think that Putin anticipated that happening, given the shambles that was in uh, just a couple of months ago. We we heard Ukraine asked Turkey to close off the Black Sea to Russian ships. Uh, We know that uh, Putin was in China in person before the Olympics. Uh, Biden did not answer the question at the press conference about India. India is a major oil importer. It does take some, doesn't get all of it from Russia. Those percentages are rather small, but they, they are very dependent on oil. How important are those countries in this equation? How do we need to think about that?
2: Turkey's the real geopolitical wildcard. It's the one that I'm going to be watching the closest here over the next week, because Turkey's invested a lot in the relationship with Ukraine. It has an adversarial relationship with Russia in general. And remember, of Russian exports go out through the Black Sea via the Bosporus. 90% of their agricultural exports go out through the Black Sea via the Bosporus. Turkey controls the Bosporus. If NATO wants to really make this hurt for Russia and wants to really cripple the the Russian economy, forget about sanctions. You've got the Bosporus and you've got them in a vice. Um, China, this is a very difficult situation for China because I don't think China really wanted this at all, but they also didn't want to turn their back on Russia. Um, You can see this actually in the way that China waived their restrictions on wheat imports of Russian wheat, and they've started importing that as well. I think you'll see China China try and take a middle path here. In general, though, um, Putin is betting on China and India long term. I think he thinks that Russia's future is about being an energy supplier for China and India, and that he thinks Russia's future is no longer to be in Europe. So that means secure his flank as much as he can in Europe and move to India and China and use that energy a dependency lever and build those with those countries rather than continue to deal with Europe, which from his point of view is threatening.
1: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com.
1: Tommy, this is such a complicated geopolitical puzzle with so many uncertainties in the outcome. And yet, if you look at the market reaction today, especially the rebound we saw in U.S. equities, it it, it almost seems like a one-day event. Sell the news, sanctions aren't as severe as we thought, on we go. Is that a miscalculation?
3: I think that history has shown that uh, people have bought the invasion on a lot of different conflicts from the Gulf Wars to Afghanistan and others. So I think people were, you know, really nervous overnight. Uh, I know Jacob and I were just talking about how we were up all night watching, uh, the markets and watching the news. Uh, but you know, what I came in today, uh, a lot of my indicators were very, very oversold M- market sentiment. Was at 10% bulls uh, for the S and P and NASDAQ? And that's a very oversold level. Um, I had, uh, other indicators, uh, such as DeMarc indicators that had some exhaustion signals, uh, that we saw recently, uh, the same signals at the recent low. And, um, I came in and uh, put out a note saying I'm covering 25% of my short exposure on the open, Uh, it's fortuitous. I didn't get get in there and uh, buy, uh, I partly wanted to see what Biden was going to say and if he was going to impose some, you know, really strict sanctions on on, uh, Putin, but he didn't. And I think the market saw that as basically, okay, game on, we're going to keep going here and I watched uh, throughout the day the Goldman Sachs short baskets uh, started to increase a lot more than the normal S and P indices. So it was a squeeze. You had the most hated stuff in the last two months uh, working the best. And on my monitors, I can see Arc was up, you know, the best, and it's been down 30% year to date. So it was up 7%. So basically, I think people were chasing what hasn't been working. They were selling a lot of stuff uh, such as gold, oil, um, some energy stocks. Uh, One thing that was peculiar, and it's probably because I think there's more risk out there, uh, the bank uh, index um, and a lot of the big banks were down and stayed down all day. So I think there's still risk out there. Uh, Look, it's the first day in, and I think everybody's kind of watching what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. So, Jacob, when you're watching what's going to happen, uh, what do we need to keep our eye on? And, and is there a sense that do you have a sense that Putin has overplayed his hand? I mean, it seems like the West has very few cards because of the fragility of the European economy. They're not going to take those heavy sanctions, you know, although they're still in discussion and, you know, supposedly they're still on the table. Um, so, you know, it looks like Putin has the strong hand here. But but what do we need to think about in terms of that?
2: The answer to that question depends entirely on your time horizon. For the next year or two, yeah, Putin's going to feel really good about himself and he's going to beat his chest and say, I unified Russia again and I'm the great new you know, 21st century czar. But it's not going to be that simple. You're not just going to go in, put a new government in Kiev, put a mission accomplished banner on and then roll your tanks home. You're going to have to do exactly what he's had to do in Belarus and Kazakhstan, which is use Russian military forces, deploy them abroad at great distance to keep that government that you like in power. And Ukraine is not Belarus, and it's not Kazakhstan. This is a huge country the size of France that has had a burgeoning national identity over the last eight years that is not going to accept that. They're going to have a very difficult time putting in a government that they see as legitimate. So in the sort of short term, I think things are going to get worse before they get better. I think you'll see a lot more volatility kind of going forward, especially in commodities markets, energy markets. I think watching emerging markets that are dependent on commodity exports. Those are actually interesting places to play this in the short term. Longer term though, this doesn't end well for Russia, but we're talking about a five, 10 year time horizon. In the short term, you're right. I think Putin's holding all the cards.
1: Yeah, Tommy, it's funny when you, so we did have a question because you were talking about the sort of, it sounds like really market dynamics that were creating that opportunity for that bounce we saw today. Uh, And Doug Nass from YouTube asks, was the bounce a gamma squeeze in any sense? It sounds like you're saying it was. What do we need to understand about that? And what, it, what what kind of duration are we looking at right now? Is everyone kind of shortening their trades because there is so much uncertainty? Um, and how nimble do investors need to be in that environment?
3: We've seen a lot of shorting, uh, short activity. We've, we track uh, uh, put buying, and it's been very, very extreme. And when you see those types of extremes, uh, you're going to get a mean reversion, uh, and it can come real quick. And I think this is a bear market, and I think bear market rallies are very, very sharp, very uh, uh, brutal for anybody that's, that's short and not positioned properly. So I think that I'm looking at the mega cap indexes, uh, custom indexes uh, with Apple, Microsoft, Google, um, Amazon. Those were up 4% today, and that those led uh, the market higher. Ah, uh, breadth wasn't necessarily great overall, uh, but it really just took those mega cap names and the again the one sectors and the most hated the SMH SL XLK Q's XLC uh, those led uh, the market higher on my screens and uh, you know I think it's just a a, a, a short squeeze that can continue.
1: Mm. Jacob, you mentioned emerging markets talk to me a little bit about that because i have we have seen some questions we've had some viewers looking at that can emerging markets or a section of emerging markets say latin america i know people were asking about that do they benefit from commodities but they're far enough away from some of the turmoil that's going to come um you know, with this ground war now taking place in Europe, is that a good place to look for a safe haven? But we saw the dollar having its best day in a long time. We have a Fed. Let's not forget about the what was the big story a week ago. The Fed potentially on aggressive rate hiking path and coming out today, two governors coming out today saying we're watching the situation, but kind of sticking by uh, the language that would suggest they're going to stay on their path for now. How how do all of those cross currents affect emerging markets? Like, what should we be looking for?
2: Look, I think the situation is going to get worse before it gets better. I think the, the the panic this morning was probably an overreaction from people who don't understand that this was really just the opening salvo of a much larger campaign. So, if this is the panic. For the opening salvo, just imagine what the panic is when we're actually getting real, you know, armor rolling through the streets of Kiev and Zelensky is no longer the president. I I think you could see a lot more volatility and a lot more uh, and a a lot more spike in volatility in volatility. Um, I'm, I'm also the director of geopolitical analysis at Cognitive Investments, and I can tell you we're very bullish Latin America. We actually took the opportunity to add to positions in Chile and in Brazil. Any emerging market economy, I think, that is exporting things like fertilizers, like agricultural products, things like nickel, which Russia is a big exporter for, um, obviously the energy spaces. These are all places that I think you're going to be able to play some of this volatility that's coming in the next couple of weeks. And I like them at a macro level going forward.
1: Fantastic. Jacob, we're going to let you fly because I know that you've got to keep your eyes on what's happening. We're going to have more comments coming coming out of Europe. We're going to hear from the ECB uh, at some point tomorrow. So crucial developments. We know you'll be back on to help walk us through it. So thank you so much, Jacob Tommy. I want to turn um my attention with you to commodities and we we didn't talk about it at the top of the show. We saw huge moves right Nat gas, spot not getting Nat gas in Europe up 30%. I think it hit something like 50% at some point during the trading day. We have Brent 105, uh, crude, WTI crude 100, big, big moves. Is there anything happening to commodities that concerns you about margin calls or that would be systemic or problematic right now, given the fact that we're seeing these massive
3: moves? Well, it's it's basically the I mean, the world is basically reacting to this crisis. And it's I think the last 15 percent has been this crisis. And if this crisis cools off, I think uh, prices will will you know move right back down. And market sentiment for crude has been extreme. and um, what we've tr- been tracking. Uh, we've had some DeMark signals on the daily time frame uh, show some exhaustion signals. And I said, look, throw those out uh, if we you know, if there's an invasion and um, obviously that's happened. On the weekly time frames with the DeMark signals, Ah, uh, we still see commodities uh, in an uptrend, as well crude. And so, look, we've we haven't had an opportunity um, in the last month and a half to buy crude on any pullback. It's been straight up, and it's been that way for a lot of commodities. We've been bullish on palladium, uh, platinum. Uh, we've been short. We just recently shorted coffee. Uh, it's probably one of the few uh, commodities on my screen today that uh, was, you know, clearly down. Uh, so I, I'm looking at um, a lot of different cross-currents. I've been long gold. It's pulling back again just because of the, uh, the maybe uh, calmness uh, the markets seeing with uh, after Bush or uh, Bush, uh, Biden's uh, sanctions uh, were really uh, inactive. So, you know, I think that there's been a safe haven trade uh, that is basically one trade by the dollar, um, by bonds. And, uh, and, and commodities. So I think that's going to unwind a little bit if this cools off. And I'm not quite sure it's going to cool off. Uh, you know, it's the first day in. Let's see what happens overnight. Uh, you know, one of the things in the European debt crisis is that you would go home long and all of a sudden in the middle of the night, you're looking at your the futures and they're down, you know, max and you're just, you know, you're, you're like, oh my God, you can't go back to sleep and your day's ruined the next day. So couldn't see a lot of tape bombs like this going forward. So I think just basically being cautious in this environment, um, I think there's going to be an increase in volatility or maybe just a sustained um, pattern of volatility on the upside and downside. And uh, today was a great example.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. And it, it's, I think it's so important to point that out because it was really interesting watching the Twitter feed today because you put out early you know any questions that you were coming on and we had a lot of uh, a lot of questions and interest around timing right when are you closing your shorts for an exhaustion bounce i believe you closed some of your shorts first thing this morning before that person posted the question is it time to exit oil gold short term um do you short the qqq here a lot of people trying to figure out how to position around this? What do we need to think about? And what's the difference between people who are doing it professionally and people who are maybe individual investors doing it for their portfolios?
3: Well, I think right now, um, I mean, again, bear markets are very sharp, uh, fast, and they can end quickly as well. So you just have to be very nimble. I think sizing is very, very important right now. You don't need to be a hero in a bear market. You need to survive and get through it. You can make money, but uh, you don't necessarily need to get uh, overly convicted um, and uh, you know dogmatic in your trade. So I think it's just uh, be very flexible. And again, I've said this, um, I've been on Real Vision um, all year, and I said this can be a very tactical market versus last year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You certainly have been warning about that. And really talking about size and talking about risk is, is so important right now. Uh, TC is asking on the RV site, where is Tommy seeing put buying?
3: Oh, everywhere. You just go across the board. And the thing is, the it, so the markets, when we track, I look at uh, Phil Erlanger's research for shorting and put buying. It's been really, really high uh, all, all year. Um, but the shorts have been right. You know, you can look at the shorts and names like Square or PayPal, and they've been right all the way down. And there's been large, large put buying all the way down on a lot of things. So look, it's paid people, and shorts can be right for a certain amount of time, but when things turn, you just better be ready and know that there's a big squeeze and it's exactly what we saw today.
1: Now, you, 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 you adjusted your positions at the beginning of the session. Considering that big swing we saw midday, Has anything changed for you?
3: Well, now I've got to make a decision um, and and see how things are over the next couple of days. I'm net long, but do I want to get even longer? Um, You know, I was short Apple. I was short Amazon, um, Q, Spies, a lot of, you know, a lot of different things. Tesla I covered on the open today, which was great. But, you know, the way I look at it is do I want to necessarily chase uh, after a day like today? So I want to see how tomorrow opens. Um, I've got lots of ideas, uh, and I'm putting together a big list of, of long ideas uh, that I think could work. There's a lot of DeMark exhaustion signals within the S&P. Again, the short interest is very high. There's huge put buying. And that to me, I mean, the thing is about the market in the last year, Uh, The shorts have not been really that active until this beginning of the year. And it's been um, mostly um, in derivatives. So you've you've had huge call buying at highs, and then the stocks get whacked. And then you've had huge put buying at at lows, and the stocks get squeezed. So it's been more like a put squeeze and a call squeeze type market.
1: Uh, MC on YouTube asking, what do you make of the volatility in gold today?
3: Well, it's just I think you had a lot of people chasing gold um, with the risk off trade. Again, it's it's just basically one trade. Um, So people were taking it off and it's been a good run. And gold hasn't had many good runs of late. And it's disappointed a lot of people because you get these false breakouts. But I think it can go a little bit more. uh, and And look, we also have another catalyst, a negative catalyst, and that's the Fed coming up in March. And so I've been looking at two catalysts, the Fed, which has been my main uh, focus. And then now you have Ukraine and Russia. But regarding the Fed, the Fed is going to stop QE and they're going to raise rates. Now, it's been a week ago, you could have said, okay, 50 basis points is pretty likely, and it was pricing it in. But now I think it's going to be 25 basis points. And that's not like a real edgy call here. But It could go up to 50 basis points. On March 10th, the CPI comes out. And the CPI is going to be, I think, going to be higher than what we just had. And the year-over-year comparisons, um, I think, have another few months uh, that will show a real high increase. And I think we could see an eight-handle on the CPI. And that's mainly because gasoline prices um, for the uh, December report Ah, uh, we're down because of the SPR release. So in January we had a high number, but it wasn't that high. And then we just got another one for um, just uh, for January, and boom, um, it was a lot higher. And now gasoline prices are a lot higher. It's not a, it's not crude in uh, the CPI. It's gasoline prices, and you can look at gasoline futures, and it's just been straight up.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of people pointing out some of the rent has not is gonna take a while to make its way through that. It's lagging and it's gonna feed into those numbers for some months to come. And and you know, that is certainly a concern of many. We're gonna take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads dot
1: com. Uh we've got a, a couple different questions. You said you have a, a lot of long ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have questions what are your long ideas? Uh, what is your highest I'm Yeah. What is your highest conviction trade right now through March 16th meeting? That's that's an interesting one. Are you willing to make one now, given the uncertainties?
3: Mm. Uh, I'm just looking at a couple. I've had a couple that I've I've been watching. So I'm looking at transports a little bit. I like FedEx right now, and I think FedEx has come down enough. Um, I was um, long FedEx and short DoorDash for quite a while, um, partly because they had a similar market cap, which is crazy. And uh, so that pair trade worked out really well. But I I like FedEx. I know they've raised prices and the consumer will and the businesses will pay up for FedEx uh, shipping. So I think that they're uh, in a good place. Yeah, you've got crude prices higher and it's going to impact them a bit they have wage inflation problems. But I think, again, I think they have pricing power. And they said on their last conference call that they could raise prices uh, with their cons- uh, customers. So I, I, I like FedEx. It may be a little boring. Uh, I've got a couple more spicy ones out there uh, that I'm watching, some in tech, some really ugly names. Uh, I'm looking at Home Depot. I was short Home Depot. I made 10% on the way down. I covered it right before earnings and boom, it went down like 12% more. So, you know, that happens. But uh, I'm looking at Home Depot, there's some other ones out there. Netflix, Amazon had, those had DeMarc 13s today. I wanna see if those can turn a little higher. Um, You know, they had a big run already today. So I I like Netflix over uh, Amazon.
1: Are you you looking at this based on the price action? and the levels that they're sitting at, or is there something thematic about their performance in a higher interest rate, high inflationary environment?
3: No, it's, they're they're more technical. And uh, looking at uh, the DeMarc exhaustion signals, uh, they've worked well in the past with those names. So, you know, they got me in short at the highs and um, I, I'm looking at some levels right now. And I think Netflix made a double bottom. You've got uh, some, you know, smart new hedge funds, uh, buying the stock right now. Um, Bill Aikman bought a big chunk. So I think that uh, you know it's, it's, it's been beat down pretty hard. I was looking at Facebook, but I really don't like the whole model of Facebook, and I don't like what Apple and Google is, have done uh, with their algorithms, and it's going to hurt Facebook and mm. Instagram. So I'm going to pass on that one, even though it probably could bounce pretty high, um, maybe like 15% from here, but it's not one I want to get involved in.
1: We had a question Uh, uh, about what do DMARCs say about yields as well?
3: Yeah. Um, Well, that's actually a good one because uh, we've been short, I was short bonds uh, and then we had, um, I had a two, actually 1.99% upside price target on the 10 year, it hit it. And we also had uh, exhaustion signals on the daily time period. And then um, on the weekly, we had a moderate exhaustion signal. I still see, Ah, uh, the ten-year. Um, our models show that it can be at 2.45 sometime this year, and uh, I, I think that's possible. But look, we've had a risk-off type event. I thought we'd see a little bit lower. I think we got to 1.8 percent, um, and uh, you know, you know, I'm watching that right now. I'm I'm actually uh, long a little bit of um, on the bond market right now. So that's you know, and I'm I will probably take that off if this. You know if it's a risk on market right now
1: we, we have a follow-up from ralph about your fedex your interest in fedex why fedex given elevated gas prices
3: well they're they're raising prices on their consumers so they're passing uh, the the uh cost to their consumers and i don't see demand dropping off uh, and they they've said you know demand is not dropping off so i think that um Yeah, if they can, I like anything that uh, any company that can pass through uh, some of the higher input costs, that labor and materials.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested to see if FedEx also hedges their fuel like a lot of the airlines do. They may be locked in um, at lower prices than we're seeing in this latest, uh, you know, as well. We'll get stuck paying higher Mm -hmm. gas prices, but FedEx may be covered at least for a little while as well. Um, Speaking of covered, we covered a lot of ground today today. a very significant day. Um, one will certainly remember in the beginning of what is going to be a very, very uh, fraught geopolitical environment um, and volatile trading environment. So appreciate Jacob enormously for you know his thoughts on what's happening. You'll see a lot more of him in the coming days as we lean on his expertise. And Tommy, always great to have you. Sort of you know giving giving us the inside track on what's happening in the markets and some of the dynamics that are causing the price movements we see. It's super important to sort of dig beneath the headlines of what look like a a super positive rebound, and, and try to examine what's driving it and what we need to understand about it to make smart decisions ourselves. So appreciate you as always as well.
3: Well, thanks that's, for having me, and uh, great seeing you.
1: Yep, yeah, that's it for um, that's it for us for now. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Uh, we are going to be back. I will be back tomorrow with Joseph Wang. We'll have much more coverage throughout the day, of course, across the Real Vision platform. Um, so be sure to uh jump on the exchange, our social network where the conversation always continues in the meantime. Take good care and good luck out there.
0: What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to Realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad.